So Jimmy, where'd you where did you start uh, where'd you start fishing? Middle Georgia, Jones County, little community called Bradley, which uh, the census said had three hundred people, but uh, never did. Never, I mean, never could have come up with 300 people somebody's looking at a map right now thinking that they need they want to move down there because there's not that big of a population <laughs> it still isn't um we uh my dad owned a little country grocery store um uh, my mom was part of the time she was a stay-at-home mom and part of the time she worked for the department of family and children's services uh we had a a 75 acre farm slash timber slash uh, just a place to play for kids to play uh, adjacent to our house had a four acre farm pond and my mom was uh, the angler in our family really she'd grown up in south georgia fishing a farm pond near tifton where she grew up and uh, when i was pretty young my dad built her a pond behind the house, and uh, that's where I grew up fishing uh, in the in a John boat in the middle of that four acre pond. I remember vividly. Remember, we're catching brim, uh, you know, big enough to eat, maybe the size of your hand, and I catch a bass that may have weighed three quarters of a pound. You know, the pond was new. Didn't right. have big fish. And I distinctly remember getting that fish in the boat and excitedly asking, what kind of brim is that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just, from there, you know, I just fished every moment. I was either fishing or hunting or going to school, and that was it. Welcome in, everybody. We're talking to Jimmy Harris of uh, Unicorn Outfitters here in Helen, Georgia. We're, we're upstairs in the fly shop. Uh, you're listening to Southeastern Fly, and this is the Angler's Influence. And, and Jimmy's getting in. We're getting into his uh, the start of his, his fishing, and we're going to move on to fly fishing. And we're going to talk a little bit about the waters around uh, here in North Georgia. Apparently, we're going to talk about the waters of all over Georgia because uh, we're starting down there in his in his hometown. I think of uh, probably work our way up here to where we are today. Jimmy uh, just got off the water here a little while ago, just before the store closed. I drove over uh, from from Nashville, the mobile uh, recording studio, if you will. <laughs> got a fan going. Lots of traffic out in Helen today. I, there was a traffic jam in Helen, as I'm sure there is every Saturday and Sunday. When we lived in in um, in uh, Ringgold, right up right up at the top of the state, this is one of the places that we get in the car and just do a little quick day trip over here. That was back, gosh, probably in the 80s, maybe 90s. It was uh, different then. It looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> I, I remember some no, of there's the. There's more of it. Yeah, there. It is a little longer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it more is. Of it. Yeah. And we played golf. I spent a year of my life one day on a golf course up uh, up here in the mountains, Innisbrook or something like that. Yeah, there's still, you know, I, there's probably four sleeves of my golf ball still up there because it was it was terrible. There's one hole I remember though. This is before I when I was uh, a whole other life. But there's one hole. It's you know it's probably 50 feet to the pin, but it's 400 feet down. Straight down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't remember how many balls I hit off of there, <laughs> but it was uh, it was an interesting day. It's one of those days that you remember, and not probably for a good reason. It's probably why I got into fly fishing, <laughs> which I'm much better off for. <laughs> so you're growing up in, uh, in in Georgia, South Georgia, I guess. Middle Georgia. Middle Georgia. That's a big distinction. Okay, so where are you from, Atlanta? If if you're in Middle Georgia, because to me, Atlanta's kind of Middle Georgia. No, well, that's that's the. The sentiment of everyone that uh, is a native of North Georgia. Uh-huh. Anything 20 miles south of here is South Georgia. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Macon, Macon is actually dead in the center of the state. And I grew up about uh, 15 miles outside of Macon in Jones County, a little community called Bradley. And um, the reason we stipulate that it's not South Georgia is the fall line crosses Georgia from Augusta to Macon to Columbus. And that's where an ancient ocean, the shoreline was. So if you go 10 miles south of where I grew up, you get into very sandy, loamy soil. Where I grew up, it's clay soil because it never was the bottom of an ocean. And so um, we're very proud of that. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of The mosquitoes aren't as large. (laughs) No gnats, no cotton mouse. No cotton mouse. See, <laughs> it's got to be a wonderful place. It's pretty nice. <laughs> so your you said your mom, your mom was the angler. My mom was the angler, not a fly angler. I grew up fishing with cane poles, and then we graduated to Zebco 33s. Oh, but, I remember uh, the Zebco 33. Oh, I had yeah. one of those too, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my mom loved to fish, loved to fish, and uh, she grew up fishing. On farm ponds in Tifton, Georgia. When when she moved to middle Georgia, after she married my dad, uh, one of the first things my dad did was build a pond for her. And, That's uh, true so I, love right there. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so I spent my life uh, on that pond, uh, either in a John boat or my dad had a little country grocery store. And if people couldn't pay their bill, we got some of the strangest things in lieu of payment. Once we got a... a fantastic uh homemade john boat made out of plywood had a live well and gosh it just it was a great great boat uh one year we had a guy give us an old town canoe a a wood and canvas canoe oh wow oh i wish i still had that yes i wish i still had that i actually bought one about a year ago that looked a lot like it that needs to be restored it's sitting in my basement right now waiting to be restored and it's Strictly from that memory of having that canoe as a child fishing on the the pond behind our house. Good for you. Yeah. Did your Did your mom ever tell you what kind of brim that was? <laughs> <laughs> she pointed out that it was a bass, and uh, so my horizons were br- broadened by at least a hundred percent that day. And uh, you know, as is typical of most farm ponds, uh, the fishing was pretty good. And then as, as I got older and, you know, was close to uh, graduating from college and everything, it, uh, it was just completely out of whack. And I remember we drained it and, and started over with it. And uh, at that point, I moved away and, and never fished it again. So, really? Yeah. But starting in the farm pond is it's a Oh, it's the place. best way. Yeah, it really I mean, is. If, I could, if I could take any, anybody, but particularly kids, out on a farm pond, I'm fairly certain they would fall in love with fishing just the same way I did. And how many how many of us got started fishing with, with brim 
Yeah. I would say, I would dare say a, a large majority of folks that are listening right now, their first fish was probably a brim. There's, there's obviously there's, there's others that, oh, you I'd know, say the odds were, are, yeah. There's some out there, probably their first fish was 150 pound tarpon and we won't talk bad about them, but you know, I'm, I think I just refuse to acknowledge it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no doubt no <laughs> doubt so as you as you you said that you uh you moved on got out of college this is a long way i mean helen georgia is a long way it's a long way and let me tell there. you um i, I mean i love i my life growing up as a kid was uh tom sawyer and huckleberry finn i mean absolutely tom sawyer and huckleberry finn but when i got out of college i had an opportunity to take a job here in north georgia at what is now Unicoi State Park. Uh, it was not a state park at that point in time. It was a strange conglomeration of things called Unicoi Outdoor Recreation Experiment Station. And I knew as soon as I moved here that God had put me in the wrong place in middle Georgia. I was supposed to be here in North Georgia. <laughs> and I finally caught up with him. And I, I've loved it ever since. I, I moved to Arkansas for a few years. But when I had a chance, I moved back to North Georgia and have been here ever since. Now, Unicoi is right up on the other side of Helen, right? It's about four or five miles from here. That's where I'm staying tonight. That's where you're staying, yeah. yes. Nice little place, too. There's it a is. lot of – there's somebody ziplining over my truck as I was getting in it a while ago <laughs> to come down here. Yeah, everybody so a has a zipline now. Yeah, they do, don't yeah. they? But it, yeah. they're pretty cool. I thought I might want to do it. but It goes over the lake. Yeah, I probably won't do that. <laughs> I don't know. That might be pretty That cool. might be the safest way yeah, to do one. Yeah. might be. Yeah, and there's a, a creek or a river there. I don't know what y'all call it. Uh, it's a creek. It's a creek. Smith Creek? Smith Creek. I fished that about five or six, seven, eight years ago. Probably longer than that. Time kind of gets away. Smith Creek is actually uh, a delayed harvest stream now, mm-hmm. and uh, which means through the fall, winter, and spring is catch and release. And then in the summer, it pretty much gets too warm for trout fishing in the summertime, but uh it is a fantastic place to learn how to how to trout fish. Right, yeah. That's it it was uh I remember the day it was about thirty degrees and thirty mile an hour winds. Perfect. And it was oh it was cold. <laughs> yeah. And it was uh I don't know, it might have been January. A friend of mine and I were coming back from Atlanta and I, I said, Why don't we stop and just fish get a Georgia license? Because at the time, I was trying to get as many licenses as I could that year, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you, could, you go through different phases of fly fishing. Right. I want to catch, you know, I want to catch a fish. I want to catch the biggest fish. I want to catch the most fish. Then you move on to all these other little goals that kind of keep you engaged. It's a badge engaged. of honor, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So that, this was one of them. I said, we, before we go back to Murfreesboro, we need to stop and let me fish here. And I guess we fished for five or six hours. And then we had the, we went home. I don't remember where we were, but some some little town. We had the worst barbecue sandwich ever. I don't remember what town it was in, but we had well, driven. Coming from middle Georgia, I have to tell you that North Georgia is not known for its barbecue. This place wasn't. <laughs> but there are a couple here in, right in this immediate area now that I will put them up against any middle Georgia and South Georgia barbecue shack in, okay. that I've ever been in. So it's, it's changed. Well, we need, to, we need to check that out. Like yeah. I said, I can't remember where it was, thankfully. Uh, I, I remember maybe it. they're no longer in business i don't think they are because i would have passed by it today and would have probably went a different direction if i, I sure wouldn't have stopped there. stomach would have turned yeah right right instead i ended up at wendy's it's a whole other story so you land here uh, at what is now unicoi state park right pretty cool place and 
you, did you start fishing? When did you start fly fishing, though? How did that come about? I actually didn't start fly fishing until I moved to Arkansas oh. in, uh, in 1976. And I lived in Russellville, Arkansas on Lake Dardanelle. And it's kind of a strange thing. It's kind of like goes back to that canoe thing. You know, I've just had this love affair with canoes all my life. And I decided I wanted to learn how to fly fish. I had seen someone fly fish a few times, but I never had had anyone show me how. I was teaching in a small university in Arkansas, and I went to the library. They had one book on fly fishing, and uh, I checked it out, and I taught myself how to cast. The interesting thing is I could cast really well. I I came from a background, uh, uh, bow hunting background. And if you know anything about bow hunting, you know, most anyone can hit a a plate at 20 yards. It's when you can hit the 50-cent piece in the middle of the plate that you know you've kind of tweaked everything you can tweak and everything's working right. And what I liked about fly fishing was it was a lot of the same thing. You can get out there and flail around and catch fish, but to get fairly decent at it, You've got to start paying attention to what you're doing, and you've got to tweak your uh, every little motion in your body has got to be in tune with uh, with casting that fly rod, and that's what I liked about it. and And reading that book helped me teach myself how to cast. One of the exercises that I go through from time to time it it's so addicting that it ends up hurting my shoulder in the end. But I've got a mouse trap that's glued to a to a one by one piece of of tile and i'll stick a screwdriver in the ground in the backyard and lean that up against it set that that uh, mouse trap and then put a big hopper pattern on (laughs) and i'll just sit there and try to snap that thing i like that because you when you hit it i mean you can hit it and it'll ting off that pile that tile so you know you hit it but when you can snap that mouse trap you're like all right i'm dialed in but i i could sit out there for hours and then it hurts i mean it is I know a lot of people who fly fish who are that way. And I tell people, you know, you can practice your cast driving down the road. And they look at me like, you've lost your mind. And all I'm talking about doing is put a pen or a pencil in your hand and go through the motion while you're driving. And you, you'll you know, if you've done it enough, you'll know if you made the right motion to make a good cast. It's addictive. It is. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is. We can all have something that's much worse than this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> trust me on that. One. Uh, <laughs> so as you, so you're here. Uh, you went to to Russellville. You learned, taught yourself how to cast, which is that's crazy cool. Yeah, uh, I did. I went to. Uh, I went. This was pre Walmart days. Uh huh. Middle seventies. Uh, Walmart may have existed, but they weren't in every community. I don't know. Uh, I went to. a I think it was a place called Sky City or something like that, and bought a uh, a fiberglass fly rod and a Martin reel, and they're actually hanging on the wall downstairs over the fireplace in I our saw shop. Those. Yeah, yeah, that was my first fly rod. So, fishing Lake Dardanelle, you know, learn how to catch a few brim, a bass every now and then, that kind of thing. And then I moved back to Georgia, and. Uh, Decided that I wanted to uh, learn how to trout fish with a fly rod, and uh, so I bought a I bought a fly rod, not the best fly rod in the world, but it was okay. 
this I'm going to tell on myself. This is how hard-headed I am. I fished. I didn't know anyone that fly fished. So I just went out on my own. And I fished the Chattooga River for three years before I caught a fish on that fly rod. Wow. That's hard-headed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's good, though. Uh, Perseverance. And, and uh, I'll, I'll we'll get into this later, but uh, it was all hook-setting technique. I was getting rises, but I didn't know how to set the hook. It's not the same as bass. Right. Right. No, they're a little different. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are, right, standing in the middle of the stream. You finally, after three years, you catch your, your fish. With the help of some friends. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that then. Well, I found out that there was a group called Trout Unlimited, and there was a local chapter in Rabin County. And I called the number in the newspaper, and the guy answered the phone, and he says, well, yeah, we, we actually we have a meeting next week. We just started. I went to that meeting. They took me under their wing, took me camping with them on the Chattooga River, and, you know, they just, I don't, they probably drew straws every morning, <laughs> and the guy with the short straw had to fish with Jimmy. You think, think oh, don't please, 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 oh. <laughs> Hey, Donnie got him. All right. But the, <laughs> My friends did the same thing. <laughs> and and they told me what was happening was is I was setting the hook too quick. When I saw the fish come up to my dry fly, which I didn't even realize nymph fishing existed at that time. When I saw a fish come up to my dry fly, I immediately set the hook. And I was just pulling the fly away from the fish. Right. Three years. Three years of going, <laughs> pulling it away too fast. Way too fast. But, I mean, it, you had to have loved it to stay with it oh i did i did i loved everything about it i loved practicing i loved casting i loved the environment i was in i loved the people that i was going fishing with i mean i still do today every one of these that we recorded we've we've the people are really you get an influence through the people a lot of times Mm -hmm. most times and it's usually somebody like just like you're talking about smile say all right i'm gonna i'm gonna give this guy a shot because he looks like he's wants to do it bad enough he's not going to be you know, whatever. He's going to hurt himself if we don't help him. <laughs> There's that. There's that. Yeah. But, you know, you somebody eventually will take you under their wing. And, Thank goodness. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I've had, I've got the same, I've got the same stories. The fly fishing community is full of stories like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. My my wife, uh, she fly fishes a little bit. She she likes to go, she likes to watch me fly fish. She'll, she'll fish until she catches one and then she'll go sit on the bank and just watch but she will tell you kathy will tell you that the fly fishing community is one of the neatest groups of people that she's ever encountered in her whole life and she came from a west texas background where there wasn't much water so there wasn't wasn't much fishing she loves it just like i do from all different walks of life you Mm -hmm. i've got friends from all different walks of life that do all kinds of things in their day to, day jobs, yeah. just all kinds of things. And and but when it's time to fish, we're all on the same playing field. Exactly. You know, especially if we get in a boat together, <laughs> there's the there's the conversation of all right, this you know you go into the river and you're thinking this is going to be a good boat. And what that means is the three of us we're going to have a good time. we're going to have a good time. We're probably going to catch some fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to tell some lies and hopefully that's we'll mandatory make, yeah and hopefully make somebody believe it or halfway act like they believe it anyway yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, it definitely is. So this Trout Unlimited group, so they got you on the water in North Georgia. What what uh, what did, what did they give us? One thing that they taught you that probably you still you still use today. Gosh, they. I mean, I was raw when they when they found me. <laughs> I think it's probably uh, reading the water and understanding where fish are, and not assuming that the river's 50 feet wide there's a fish in all 50 feet of it right or whatever you know reading the water understanding uh how and why fish are going to be where they're going to be and uh i think and i had some really great mentors i mean people who had been fishing the chatuga river at that point in time for probably 25 or 30 years long before the world had heard of the Chattooga River. Mm-hmm. If you, when you say, what's your home river, the Chattooga River was their home river, and they, they knew it inside and out, and they shared it with me. So how far is that from here? Uh, it'll, to get on the water fishing from, uh, from the shop here, it'll take almost an hour. It's not that far, but it's a really curvy road out to the river from Clayton. Right. And uh, and then depends on how far you walk in at that point. So what's your favorite? Well, I don't want to ask what your favorite part of the river is, but is that your favorite river in Georgia? Or is oh, there, yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, without a doubt. It sure is, isn't it? My Actually, my, uh, my favorite part is probably the, the upper section, uh, which they refer to as Section Zero, that goes into North Carolina. There are some stocked fish in there because they stock on the lower end of it, but right. it's mostly wild browns. That's a challenge, and I like a challenge. It's a little, a little bit of hiking to go along with. A little it, hiking, yeah. It. yeah, yeah. Never hurts to work a little bit. Does no, it? it doesn't. Yeah, and that keeps you know the riffraff and the golfers. Sure, out, it does. Which is always a plus. So now, though, but now now you're sitting in Helen, and, and there's a river right outside here. So while I was waiting on you to get here, I I, I looked over and checked it out a little bit anyway but uh, there's a lot of water in it today yeah it was it was pretty big water yeah, it's, it's been raining for six years or whatever <laughs> feels like it anyway it looks like good water and i've seen it uh when it was down a little bit and always thought i need to go i need to go fish that so is it okay to fish back here what do you what do you do well how do you uh, get in here we actually lease that stretch of water in georgia if you own both sides of a non-navigable stream uh, you own the river. Oh, okay. You don't own the fish. You can't do anything to corral the fish and keep them in there. Uh, but you do own the river, and you own all the rights to it. You pay taxes on it and everything. I'm just like every other piece of property you own. So we lease this section. It's a mile and a half here, right by the shop, uh, from the landowner, and we manage it for fly fishing only. And we typically. Unless there's a group that comes in and everybody's together, we typically don't put over four people at a time on that mile and a half. So everybody has kind of an exclusive feel to it. It's a great stretch of water. I will tell you, when I moved here to North Georgia in the early 70s, uh, I would drive by this almost every day. And I just, even before I was fly fishing, I just coveted the thought of fishing this piece of water. But you couldn't. The family that owned it uh, wouldn't allow anyone to, to fish it. And uh, they even had a caretaker that patrolled with a shotgun. 
So uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is North Georgia. Yeah, don't forget <laughs> where you are. So interestingly enough, uh, years later, twenty-five years later, almost, I had an opportunity to uh, become an owner of a fly shop. At the same time, this was all providential. On Tuesday evening, uh, I was called by the owner of the fly shop. There were two guys that owned it. One of them was getting ready to move to Texas. The other one said, I can't run it uh, because of my other job. Would you be interested in buying it? Long story short is I talked him into staying on with me, and we became partners. Twelve hours later, after he called me out of the blue and said, would you be interested in owning a fly shop? Uh, I really wasn't very interested. Uh, because I knew it was a hobby for them and uh, not not a serious business. Twelve hours later, I get a call from another friend, uh, and he says, guess what? He says, my company just purchased 384 acres on the Chattahoochee River south of Helen, and we were wondering if you'd like to come fish it. And I said, how about today? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I came over. We fished it. He talked to me about what their vision was about having a uh, – there's an old mill on the place, as you know, uh, grinds corn. They talked about developing businesses around that mill uh, and recreating an old mill village. They were curious as to how they could incorporate the river into their plan. And my response was, I think you should lease it to someone for trophy fly fishing for trout. And their eyes lit up, and they said, do you have anyone in mind? And I said, I think I do. Just so happens. I know a guy. <laughs> All of that happened in in, a, in less than 24 hours. And what year was that? That was 1997. I don't want to skip too far ahead, but in 2018, this was the Orvis endorsed Fly Shop of the Year. Fly Shop of the Year. Yeah. Very proud of that. You should be. That's yeah, a big deal. We are. Not every shop gets that chance. No, they don't, and uh, and we'll be eternally grateful to Orvis for giving us that opportunity because, you know, you look around the country and you see all these mega fly shops, and I'm not saying that in a negative manner, but there are some internationally famous fly shops scattered around the country. Thanks to the way that they that Orvis judges things, fly, small fly shops like us have the same opportunity to become recognized as the fly shop of the year just like the big guys that do millions of dollars worth of business and do trips all over the world and things like that so we're very grateful to them and uh and i will give them a shout out right now and tell you that by far and away they are the fly fishing company in the united states that does more to bring new anglers into the sport than everyone else combined you know, the one misconception that I think a lot of people had, and I had it for a while, they, the misconception is, is well, Orvis is a corporation and blah, blah, blah. But really, when you figure out they're not, they're family-owned. They're family-owned, yeah. Uh, by the Perkins family, and, and they're not uh, they're not stock. They're none of that, and they're, but they are dedicated. I, they really are, and they, they put good. their money where their mouth is. They do. Yeah. They sure do. Yeah, we're proud to be associated with them. So in '97, you start you start working on this. You've got how many miles of water did you end up with? We, well, we we had the mile and a half here, uh-huh. and then when people realized 
what we were doing, some other local landowners or landowners in North Georgia came to us and asked, could we do kind of the same thing with them? And we did. And at one point, we probably had exclusive uh, access to about 15 miles of private water in North Georgia. And uh, kind of as a side note, but let me let me just say this. One of the things that we have uh, been proud of uh, in all these years is, you know, there's a high demand uh, on North Georgia mountain property, particularly property on streams, trout streams. Absolutely. There's a high demand for that property. And a lot of these people, it was family property, had been in their family for, you know, more than a generation. And there was a the, the whole tax system and everything was designed to basically force them to cut it up into one-acre lots and sell it. We gave them an opportunity to generate some income off of that land that would help offset the taxes and allow them to keep the land in the family and not break it up into small parcels and sell it. I'm not saying that's a terrible thing, but being an hour and a half north of 5 million people in Atlanta, metropolitan Atlanta, there is a tremendous amount of pressure on to sell your land up here. Right. And uh, I'm very proud that we had an opportunity to help some of these people uh, maintain the family property. Bunch of little little things coming together. A lot exactly. of times will help on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is your fishing so if I'm if I'm new coming into into North Georgia to fish, hopefully with this episode, maybe somebody will will listen to it and go, yeah, I'm going to make a run up wherever you need to come from to get here. If somebody was to walk in, what would be the number one thing that they would need to learn uh, while they were on the stream to be to have a successful day? And that doesn't mean catch a you know a ten pound brown or anything right. like that, but to have a successful day, whatever that looks like. Uh, <laughs> the number one thing they need is patience. Uh, the number two thing they need is to listen to the guide, realize that fly fishing is not like conventional gear fishing. It's great to have a knowledge of how to catch fish, but you, but as far as presenting your fly or your lure to a trout, it's, it's almost counterintuitive to what you may have learned growing up fishing those farm ponds. And so, and I may get myself in trouble here, <laughs> we get a lot of couples in. The ladies inevitably do better than the guys. Every time. And you've seen that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's because, for good or bad, most of them do not have a uh, heritage of growing up fishing with spinning gear or bait casting gear, so they don't have to unlearn that. Right. You know, uh, yeah, a spinning rod, the harder you throw it, I mean, it's a guy's outfit, man. Mm-hmm. The, the the more testosterone you throw into it, the further it goes. Yeah. You, know? you do that with a fly rod, and it just collapses all around you. And the ladies, let's face it, they're smarter. They listen long. They, they listen, do listen better. <laughs> that was, do I wasn't going to say that. I don't, I, don't mind <laughs> saying, I don't mind saying it a bit. They do listen. And, and uh, the, the, the ladies that, that really get interested in it become excellent fly anchors. Excellent flying. Yeah, absolutely, they do. Yes, sir. I've got a couple that I fish with that mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, you've come a long way. Right. As we like to say, they're eat up with it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's cool to watch. Oh, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, and eventually they just become fishing buddies. And, yeah, you know, but but it is 
fun to watch them progress. Right. And again, that goes back to what we were saying earlier is maybe you pick up on something and you go, all right, I'm going to help this one. Just like somebody did you, just like somebody did me. Right. And you just, you pass it along, pay it forward. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It sure is. So, wow, that's a long, that's a long trip here from, from <laughs> middle Georgia. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so what else, what else is another, what's another influence you think? Is there anything else that's kind of standing out there besides the Trout Unlimited? Your mother? Uh, yeah, my mom. Besides those two? People are going to hear me say this and they're going to get, I think they're probably going to get the wrong impression. The book, A River Runs Through It, mm-hmm. was a tremendous force in me wanting to learn to fly fish. I'm not talking about the movie. The movie came out, what, in the early 90s? Yes, yeah, something like that. There, yeah. I bought that book in 1976. It was, it was interesting. Uh, I was living here in Helen. And the closest place where you could buy groceries or anything at that point in time was Gainesville, which was about 30 miles away. So Gainesville, Gainesville was really town then. Yeah, Gainesville's a town. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's town. That's where you go to get groceries. Exactly. That's where you go to get clothes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and there was a little bookstore in Gainesville that was in a, it was in a little white frame house. I mean, like a two room house that had been moved into the middle of town and someone set up a bookstore there. I was there just wandering through that bookstore one day, walked into the back room of the store. There was one book in that room, and it was A River Runs Through It. One book in the room of in a bookstore. In the entire room, <laughs> and it was A River Runs Through It. And I picked it up, and I leafed through it, and I didn't fly fish it this time. And I thought, well, this looks pretty cool. I can't tell you the number of times I've read that book since then. And uh, it just lit a fire. And I think that's shortly thereafter I moved to Arkansas, and that's when I decided I wanted to learn how to fly fish. But that book was the stimulus for me to learn how to fly fish. So what did you – is there anything you learned from, the, from reading the book, like learn technical? I don't think it was – I don't think it was technical. Uh, I think it, it was the image that I was after. Uh, and, and the image I had in my head as I'm reading – a river runs through it, was that I wanted to be in that image. I mean, you know, everybody makes jokes about the movie, about, you know, uh, the the casting in the movie, the shadow casting in the movie, and, you know, he did everything but write his name in the sky with his fly line. Uh, and a lot of people come here thinking they can do that. I don't know how many people have asked me, do you, yeah. now you just, you just, you don't let the fly hit the water, no, you just yeah. go right over it, right? <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> But it it was uh, uh, Norman McLean. Uh, he he and I were on the same wavelength, I think, and uh, that that was probably one of the most important influences in my uh, desire to become a fly fisherman. And was it was it the bitter root? Is that where they were? Now I can't remember for some the reason. Big Blackfoot, I think. Okay. In the movie, to me, the movie was great. Not only, oh, I, I loved mean, it. The fly fishing was really nice in it too. I mean, but yeah. there's some things just like any movie you watch. It's not exactly like it, mm-hmm. you know, is portrayed. But it's all the other stuff that you see in the movie, and that you, and then the book has much more you know, right. of it. Uh, and I even, I even uh, bought a metronome. Did you? You went that far to time my cast, just like they did in the movie. So, do you think that worked? I do think it worked. Do you? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, you know, casting a fly rod is all about timing. It's very little brute force. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> in casting a fly rod. 
Which is one reason I think uh, that women do so well at it. I think they have a better sense of rhythm and timing. And t- they've got a better touch, too. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're that tuned into probably it. more what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. touch. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. But somewhere out there, some dude is on Amazon right now going, I saw it in the movie. Now, Jimmy said, I'm getting me a metronome. <laughs> He's gonna, it's going to be in the mail on, on Tuesday. Nowadays, I house. actually have a metronome app on my phone. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Oh, that in the that in the mousetrap. Two yeah. things that you can't do without, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I wouldn't mind going to Montana and, and and fishing out there. I haven't been there yet. Now I haven't made it past uh, oh, gosh. Colorado yet. Yeah, well, you need to go. Yeah, I yeah. know. I make that trip once or twice a summer. Do you really? Yeah. So so all right. Now Yellow. we're going to get off track a little bit, and that's okay. Yellowstone. Go to Yellowstone. Where do you stay out there? I actually have a good friend who uh, is he and his wife are retired teachers from here in North Georgia. And when they retired, they built a cabin in Island Park. Mm. They're about 10 miles outside of West Yellowstone. And they are uh, either generous or they're gluttons for punishment. I tell everyone, if if you invite me to come fishing somewhere, I'm coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the one showing up. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I just love it. And I usually go, like I say, once or twice a summer. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. And I will make it out there, uh, We've been stuck in I'll Colorado. I'll meet you out there if you want me to. Okay. I'll, I'll go three times if you want. Okay. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> He's a great guy. I'll make those sacrifices. Yes, thank you. you t- are you taking me under your wing? Is that what I you're will, doing? Yeah, yeah. You I will. I'll show you all show my him, favorite spots. Show, show him pity on me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so your, your mom, Trout Unlimited. What Which Trout Unlimited was it again? Rabin Chapter. The Rabin Chapter? Rabin Chapter? R-E-B-U-N. Rabin. Rabin. In, they're, in, they're located in Rabin County. Okay, and they're still active. Very active. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're probably the most active chapter in the state. And then a river runs through it, the book. The book. A lot of people talk about the book uh, yep. more than they talk about the movie, and the book is a big deal. It is a big deal. Definitely. And I've read it multiple times. That's it's funny because on my way over here, it's uh, it was about four and a half hours, and I stopped and ate and all that. But on my way over here, I listened to Travers Corners. I don't know if you've ever listened to or read that book. There's a trilogy, no. Travers Corners. It's about a small Montana town, and there's some fly fishing in it, right? I mean, it, they talk about fly fishing and drift boats, and I love drift boats. Yeah. Dories, if, if you will, but... What goes on in the town, the story behind it, is is very much. Oh, I'll have to get that. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely it's all three of them are great reads. All all three of them are fantastic. I can't spit. I can't talk enough about them. I've read those books two or three times each. Yeah. And now I've got the first one on tape, so or on on my phone, I guess. Uh, and and I started listening to it on the way over here, and I'm not chapter four now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you do need to you need to listen and to that. So psychologically, you're driving, but you're in Montana. At oh, that absolutely, point. yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Sometimes I'm in a drift boat, and sometimes I'm just sitting in, at uh, right. at the at the ten cup diner, and you know, it's just it's all good. So I totally understand how a book can transform you and take <laughs> you to a place where you didn't think you'd ever be. But it it really has influenced your life, and now now you're at the fly shop, and it's a great shop. Thank you. Uh, whenever I came in today. I couldn't find a parking space. I kind of waited around out there uh, until somebody left, and then I was able to pull in. We like that. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing. That's a we'll, great thing. We'll hire a traffic cop if we need to. 
Uh, and, and then the, the rocking chairs, there's some rocking chairs out front. I sat in them again. Uh, you looked very at home out there. I was at home. Yeah, <laughs> I was. And about another 30 minutes, I'd have been at home by taking a nap in one of them. Uh, you won't be the first person to do that. <laughs> but then I came in and I nosed around a little bit. I saw the reels that you were talking about on the fireplace and quite a bit of stock in here, obviously, uh, that you, and a lot of mountain stream fishing stock that's, uh, yep. that, that helps folks along, so. So I appreciate you having me, having us by here. And, and for the listeners out there, if you're up in Helen uh, fishing, I'd strongly urge you to stop in Unicoi. It's actually a law. It is a law. Yeah, if you come yeah. here fishing, you have to stop in Unicoi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have you arrested. Yeah, yeah. And the, <laughs> and the Helen jail ain't nothing to smile about, let me tell you. Uh, but uh, anyway, Jimmy, thanks for having us having us up and, and, and inviting us into your world for a little bit. And uh, to the listeners out there, appreciate you stopping in again. And uh, thanks for listening to uh, The Angler's Influence. This was Southeastern Fly, and uh, hope to see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>